society in general, and our culture in particular, is trying so hard to squeeze young people into false understanding of some great concepts. They're trying to squeeze them into wrong understanding of what self-esteem is all about and what self-worth is all about and what the self-love is all about. And, and that is why it is a sheer delight to see Christian young people whose self-esteem emanates from believing that they are loved by the Lord and that they're cared for by the Most High, that they are known by Him by name, and that they anchor their hope in, in the fact that the Son of God came from heaven, died on a cross, and rose again for their salvation, and that He has adopted them as sons and daughters and has given them His last name, that He alone can give them joy and fulfillment in life and eternal life with Him in heaven. That was such a great encouragement for me. That is why today I want to talk to you about a teenage girl who, from the human point of view, she faced a crisis of an immense proportion that none of us will ever even comprehend, let alone experience. And yet, because her confidence was in the Word of God, because her trust was in the promises of God, because of her relationship with God, because of the fact that her self-esteem was founded upon the Scripture, she not only faced that crisis with confidence, but 2,000 years later, millions of people call her blessed. I want you to turn with me, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. This is a prayer in a song. The song of Mary became known as the Magnificat from the Latin word to magnify, because the King James Version says, my soul magnifies the Lord. But really, it teaches us a lot of things. It teaches us of a, the lasting power of real biblical self-esteem. It teaches us the lasting power of an authentic self-esteem. It teaches us the lasting power of a rightfully placed confidence, the lasting power of self-image that is based on the Lord Jesus Christ, not like the self-image of today that seem to be warped by materialism, that seem to be corrupted by possessions, that seem to be falsified by peer pressure. To show you what warped self-esteem can cause in our culture, in this celebrity worship culture, survey after survey have shown that these celebrities of Hollywood wish that they were somebody else. <laughs> Woody Allen, who represents that kind of mindset, said, he said, the one regret in life is that I am not somebody else. The problem with this crazed celebrity culture of comparing ourselves with each other all the time is that they do not comprehend that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. More than 2,000 years ago, this young teenage girl from Nazareth, and let me tell you something, Nazareth as a town was at that time the least of 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 all the towns in Israel. And 
this teenager expressed far healthier self-esteem than so many of the spoiled, non-believing teenagers in our 21st century. Today, we have some teenagers who have more stuff than they can count, and yet they feel that the odds are stacked against them. They don't know what real odds are all about. They really don't. Listen to some of the odds that this teenage girl had to face, the odds that were stacked up against her. She was a woman in a male-matted society. She was a teenager in an only adult-matted society. She was extremely poor in an only rich-matted society. She was pregnant out of wedlock, where stoning to death was her only future. And this is just a partial list. You've got to understand, this is not just a bad hair day. This is not just uh, wearing clothes that uh, your peers don't approve of. This is not just, uh, you know, not getting the latest model car when you turn 16. This is just not being able to play first string. No, I know these things are important to modern teenagers, but listen to me. The Virgin Mary, her self-esteem was founded upon obedience to God's Word. Her self-esteem was based upon trusting in the promises of God. Her self-esteem was founded upon a deep desire to be used by God and for His glory. And because of that, millions upon millions upon millions of people called their daughters Mary. Last count, I saw the 20 different variation on the name Mary. Listen to me. The one true God uses only the humble and the contrite hearts. Long after these self-made gods and goddesses have gone from the scene, the Virgin Mary's name will be called blessed. Amen. You know, through the years, artists really try to improvise about the beauty, the physical beauty of the Virgin Mary. But what they really did not understand is that her beauty was really the beauty of holiness. Her beauty was the beauty of surrender to the Lord. Uh, Mary's uh, real beauty and true beauty was in the, the beauty of serving God's will and God's plan and God's purpose. Mary's true beauty was the beauty of desiring to obey the Lord at any cost, even the cost of her life. And when all the odds stacked against you, my beloved friend, if you are saved, you are favored by God. And when you're favored by God, even when the odds are against you, you have everything. When the odds are stacked against you, but you have the favor of God, you are one person, unconquerable army. And Mary was favored by God. And that was enough. That was enough. Being pure virgin, God privileged her to carry His Son. Being pure virgin, God honored her to bear the Messiah, for whom they longed for thousands of years, for whom they've been waiting since Genesis 3.15. Why? Listen to me. Because the Son of God could not possibly be born the natural way. 
He could not possibly be born the normal way. That would have made him a sinner because the sin is transmitted through the seed of the man. And if he was a sinner, then he could never forgive our sins. He could not be the only Savior of the world. He could not save us from our sins. Why? Because only one who is absolutely sinless, sinless by birth and sinless by practice, can truly save us from our sin. Now, don't miss what I'm going to tell you because it's really important. A lot of people, Christian people, miss it. There is a miracle that takes place every time a person comes to Christ. There is a miracle that takes place every time a person receives Jesus Christ as their only Savior and Lord. There is a miracle that takes place every time a person becomes born again. There is a miracle that takes place every time Christ is born in a person's life. Ah, but unlike Mary, many Christians devalue that miracle. They really do. Many Christians lose their passion for that miracle. Many Christians take that miracle for granted. Many Christians allow that miracle to be buried beneath the junk of this life. The one fact that we often forget or don't reflect on long enough is the fact that when Christ is born in your heart, when Christ is born in my heart, it means that you are favored by God. That's what it means. And I want you to think about this with me. Just think about this. Of all the billions of people who have lived and are living and will ever live, you are favored by God when Christ comes into your life. You are favored by God when He changes your heart. You are favored by God when He changes your destination from hell to heaven. You are favored by God who gave you faith to believe in Him. You are favored by God who gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me testify to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I want to tell you, especially young people, listen to me. That self-esteem is all the self-esteem that I really needed growing up in an oppressive society and culture. That's all the self-esteem that I needed growing up as the runt of the pack in a large family. (laughs) And that self-esteem brought me here today. It is anchored in the Word of God. It's anchored in the promises of God. Now I come to Mary's prayer of praise. I always get to my text. I'm going to wander around for a while, but I always get back. Three things that I want you to notice about her prayer. The first thing immediately strike you is that in her prayer, the preeminence in her prayer was the magnifying of the name of the Lord. That's preeminent. Verses 46 to 47. Then you notice there is a pattern in her prayer, and the pattern is always pointing to the grace of God. Verses 48 to 53. And thirdly, you find the purpose of her prayer, and that is recognizing the faithfulness of God, verses 54 to 55. The first words that come out of her mouth, and as I told you, all the little Jewish girls obviously memorize Hannah's prayer, and those two prayers are very similar in many ways if you put them side by side. That the first words that are uttered from her mouth was not about her predicament, It was not her worry and anxiety of being stoned to death. 
at any time and at any moment if she's discovered. Ah, but the preeminence of her prayer is the magnifying of the name of the Lord. Why? Because she knew the preeminence of lifting up the name of the Lord is going to protect her all of her life. And she said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. In what? Ah, in my wonderful circumstances. No. In this great place of power. No. Being born in a rich family, this is all the self-stuff that we get. She's not magnified the Lord. She's not praising the Lord. Her spirit is not rejoicing for in anything or anybody. She was not self-focused. But she was focusing on magnifying the name of the Lord. And the reason both soul and spirit are mentioned here, it's a very important. Don't miss it. In effect, here's what she's saying. She's saying that the totality of my being magnifies the Lord. That all of who I am and all of my hopes and my dreams magnify the Lord for His favor. All of my emotions, all of my mind, all of my will are praising and lifting up the God who lifted me up. With all of my strength, I am blessing the one who blessed me with His favor. There may be someone here today who's sitting there and said, Yeah, I know. Theoretically, I understand that when you're saved, you're really favored by God. I, Michael, I just don't feel favored today. I don't feel favored by God. I have prayed about things. God is not answering me. God is silent. I don't feel favored by God. I know what you're saying is true, but I just don't feel it. What's happening, you are covered up and blinding yourself with your current situation and allowing it to cover your sight and blurring your vision. But if you are eternally saved then you are favored by God. Listen, I'm absolutely convinced that if you show me a person whose prayer life is focused on magnifying the Lord, I'm going to show you a person who is a joyful and contented deep down in their heart. If you show me a person whose prayer life is consumed by the glory of God and the honor of God and the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, I'm going to show you a truly happy Christian. If you show me a person whose prayer life is seeking after the righteousness of God, I'll show you a truly satisfied Christian. If there was anyone who had every right to complain and be griping and upset and fretting and worrying would be this teenage from Nazareth. Truly. She had every right to do it. Her life was on the line. Her reputation is marred. You see, we forget that. You don't realize what a dreadful situation she was in. Yeah. Her reputation was marred. Her honor was questioned. Her future is uncertain because the law said somebody pregnant outside of marriage must be stoned to death. I magnify the Lord. What made the difference was that her delight was in fulfilling the purpose of God, not her circumstances, not what could happen to her. 
This is the preeminence of her prayer, magnifying the Lord. Secondly, verses 48 to 53, you see that there's a pattern there in her prayer. And, and the pattern is that she's pointing constantly to the grace of God. It's the grace of God. That's where she was pointing. In verse 48, she said, For he regarded the lowly state of his handmaiden. Listen, you've got to take her at her word and how she saw herself. She saw herself as a servant of God. She saw herself as a mere instrument in the hand of God. And that's how she viewed herself. And God always favors the humble. I remember my friend John Ashcroft many years ago. He said, when I first got elected as senator from Missouri, my father, very physically feeble, insisted on coming, making the trip to Washington, D.C. But the one thing he told him, he said he never forgot. He said to him, son, the spirit of Washington is the spirit of arrogance. But the spirit of Christ is the spirit of humility. Something that this teenage girl, virgin from Nazareth, can teach our arrogant politicians. Listen to me. Mary's consciousness of God's grace in her life, Mary's consciousness of the favor of God, Mary's consciousness of the mercy of God was the secret of her strength. That was the secret of her strength. When Jesus described John the Baptist, he said, Of all men born of a woman, there is no greater than John the Baptist. And when you think about it in context, and what we know about John the Baptist, didn't look good, didn't smell good, didn't eat good. (laughs) You have to ask yourself, how come the Lord of glory is telling us that of all men who are born of a woman, there's no greater than John the Baptist. And you have to conclude the reason for that is because John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And that was the motto of his life. In a time when people are pushing their agendas and pushing themselves and pushing their ideas, John the Baptist said, he must increase. I must decrease. And Mary's greatness was in her humility and in the fact that she was patterning her prayer in gratitude and in thankfulness to the grace of God, His unmerited favor toward her. Look at verse 51. He scattered the proud. Beloved, let me tell you something. Proud and arrogant people, they have come and they've gone. Well, we still call Mary blessed. From the back at Nasser to Alexander the Great, from all of Rome's Caesars to the Russian Tsars, from Hitler to Mussolini, from Saddam Hussein to all the others who have fallen in his footsteps, all have come and gone, but we still thank God for that young teenage virgin from Nazareth. Some of you may have heard me say this before, that back in the first century, the most important person was Caesar. Paul was nothing. He was a prisoner of Caesar. And here we are, 2,000 years later, call our children Paul and our dogs Caesar. (laughs) 
preeminence of magnifying the name of the Lord. Her pattern was pointing to the grace of God. The purpose of her prayer was to recognize the faithfulness of God. Verses 54 and 55. One of the things that's so clear in the Scripture as you read through it is the fact that God has been faithful to all of His promises. How many of those? All of His promises. Even, you see, when people gave up and people rebelled against Him, when people gave up on God, when people were unfaithful, God stayed faithful. No matter how long it took, He was faithful to all of His promises. And that's what Mary's saying here. She's testifying to the faithfulness of God for keeping all of His promises in His Word. God promised Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a son. doesn't matter how long it's going to take. And they were in their 90s. Twenty-five years later, God gave them a son. When He makes a promise, He keeps it. He promised to deliver His people from the bondage of Egypt. It took 400 years, but He delivered them. He told Moses that He's going to get them into the land of promise. It took 40 years, mostly because of their disobedience in the wilderness. But He got them into the promised land, just as He promised. He promised to send His Messiah back in Genesis 3.15. And in the fullness of time, Jesus was born of a virgin. And Mary says, in effect, verses 54 and 55, that God always, 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 always keeps His promises. Some of you are probably saying, well, I don't have to wait 400 years. No. <laughs> no, God knows. He knows what you're praying for. And if you're seeking His righteousness and seeking His will, He will answer you. He will answer you. We've been seeing it throughout the series of messages. That promise, she said, that He made to Abraham 2,000 years earlier is now fulfilled in me. That's what she was talking about. He always keeps all of His promises. And the question is, are you willing to trust Him? Are you willing to trust Him even when you have no evidence? Willing to trust Him even when you can't see no signs? Are you willing to trust Him? Are you willing to magnify His name above all else? Are you willing to point to His grace and His mercy above all factors of life? Are you willing to testify to His faithfulness? This is the core of effectiveness in prayer. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.